We love rainy days in our house. Everybody kind of looks forward to them. My kids hate it when it rains on a school day because they have to be at school during a rainy day. But at our house, you know, we all tend to find our way near a window. And Noah may be sitting up at his desk writing or drawing. And Sophie is making comic strips and characters and all kinds of stuff right there in her room by a window. And we may be reading a book or drinking a cup of coffee. And we a lot of times end up out on the front porch. There's a couple of rocking chairs and a little swing out there. And we go out and we, we sit on the front porch and talk. Um, it's really great when you're the only one out there and there is no talking but that doesn't usually last long. <laughs> and I'm probably really the only one in my house that really kind of craves that. So, you know, I'll go out there and within like 37 seconds, there's others out there and, and we start to talk. And it's there that we often have our like most serious conversations, right? This conversations about life and faith and um, girls or guys or drama at school and how to deal with it about just life. And, um, and again, a lot of it ends up back to, to our faith and what do we believe and what do we think and how do we do this thing called Christian life and what it's really about. And we were having this conversation not long ago and I asked one of them and I just, what do you, what do you think this Christian life is really based on? And we were talking a little bit and, and he said, you know, I think it's really based on love, like on God's love for us and loving people. I said, really, that's what you think it's based on? And he's like, yeah. So I'm surprised you didn't say the Bible. And um, he said, well, I was going to, but I thought about all of the things that you've taught and and preached for the last several years. And I realized that, that the Bible is important. But it's not the only thing. In fact, if the, if the Bible was, was gone, we could still have our faith. Our faith is built on, on a person and a relationship with this person. And, and really, the earliest Christians didn't have a Bible. It didn't fall out of the sky ever. Um, God didn't handwrite it himself, and certainly not in English. But um, we have... This book that was collected over time and is meant to kind of be the word about the word. Jesus is described in John chapter 1 as the word of God. And that's really what our faith is built on. And this connection and relationship to him. And, and at times we'll talk about different things. And if we were to have one of those conversations today, we might talk about what is it that faith really looks like, and, and why, why are there so many people who seem to get started on this journey and then fall off track? Why are, why are there so many people who, who seem to be so on fire one minute and then douse the next? Or, or their, their belief seems so strong and significant, and, and, and they can articulate it, but then it's gone. Or, like really right now, we'd probably talk about why is it that Christians seem to be against so much and for so little? Why is it we're so concerned with winning arguments that we're willing to lose relationships? 
And if if that question were on the table, I'd probably start by going to Matthew chapter 13. And if you want to turn there, you can. It's, it's, It's like page 585 or so in the Bibles in front of you, somewhere right in there, like if that helps. But Matthew chapter 13, like open to the middle, start working your way toward the back. You'll see some weird old prophet names, and then you'll get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's Matthew chapter 13, and there there's this story. Jesus goes by a lake, which is always a great way to start a story is by the lake. Um, And then the next thing he does is get on a boat which makes the story even better. But he doesn't do my favorite thing to do on a boat in a lake. He doesn't begin to fish this time. He begins to teach. Right? Like when I'm on a boat in a lake, I don't want to talk. But that's what he does. He starts talking. He starts teaching. And he has to do this because the crowd gathers up. There's too many people, and they're all standing on the shore. And he's sitting on the edge of the boat. I can imagine dangling his feet in the water talking with people. He loved to do that. And he starts to tell them a story. In fact, Matthew collects and puts four stories together right here called parables. Now, parable is, um, is a word that's not used in a whole lot of other Greek texts. And it kind of leans back to this Hebrew word, mashal, that means hidden. So Jesus starts to tell these stories with the purpose of kind of teasing people into insight versus just Telling them what's going on. And I guess that's just kind of boring. So he just, let me tell you a story. And he tells them the story of a farmer. Because that area is highly agriculture. It's like if he were to come here, he'd either talk about jets or farming or basketball. Right? Like that seems to be the, the things that people understand here. So he gets to, he'd start talking about farming. And he tells the story of this farmer. Who, who takes the seed and he just throws it everywhere. It, it really is kind of this ridiculous story. Seed's expensive. No farmer is going to kind of indiscriminately throw it and hope it lands in a good place. But that's what this farmer does. He just throws it. He says that, you know, the, he doesn't say it specifically, but it's kind of a loo. The kingdom is like this farmer who just throws the seed out. Some of it lands on a footpath, but it's too hard and the The seed can't get into the soil, so quickly the birds come and they eat it and take it away. Then there's some that land on rocky soil or soil that has all kinds of rocks in it. And um, what happens there is it it takes root and it, it starts to grow quickly, but the sun comes up and just scorches it because the roots aren't very deep. It doesn't get enough water, not enough sustenance, and, and, it, and it's just gone. And then he tells about the soil that has thorns that grow up with the plant. And the plant grows for a while, but eventually the thorns choke it out. And it doesn't grow, doesn't produce any fruit. And then there's the good soil. The soil that should have hopefully got most of the seed. It says that the, the good soil produced a harvest. It was like 10, 30, 60 times as much as the seed planted. Now, that's again this absurdity to Jesus' story because a really good harvest would have just been like seven times as much. So for every seed they planted, they would have gotten seven more back. Like that would have been amazing harvest at this time. The average was about three times. So to imagine 10 or 60 times a harvest is extremely 
remarkable result for this investment. And, and Jesus kind of starts to explain, um, like, hey, listen, to his disciples, like, why, why are you telling them these stories? And he says, some people will listen and not understand. And some people will listen and understand. And I think he gets a little worried about how dim-witted his disciples might be. That would be me if I was sitting there with him, like, okay. And he says, okay, let me explain this one to you. And he does. He starts to explain it to him. And, he, and really what he's doing, he's helping them to understand why some people seem to get it and then lose it. Why, why some people are so concerned with being right, but their life is all wrong. Why, why some people seem so emotional and, and on fire, but yet it just doesn't last. And then why some people's lives just seem to produce harvest after harvest after harvest and the kind of life that we all dream of having. He <laughs> says, you know, that soil on the path, as people who listen and, and don't understand and quickly the enemy comes and steals away the seed. You know, the, really the only weapon that the enemy has against us is lies. Right? That's his attack. And this is what happens when our faith is only as deep as our minds. When it's all intellectual. When it's all about what you think and what you believe and what you think you know. Because what happens is it doesn't take long for us to begin to doubt those things. Life happens, and we'll start to question that. And one of two things happens when that happens. We either have to hold on to it more tightly and argue more fiercely and separate ourselves from people who think differently than us, or we just have to give up on it altogether. If all our faith is is what we think and what we believe, then it's never going to sustain us and produce the kind of life we really hope to have in Christ. And so it's not really the kind of faith God wants for us. It's just this mental faith, this mind faith, these things we think. Now, no doubt our faith has to, has to affect the way we think. It has to affect our thoughts. It has to be a place we win the battle, but it's not all there is. If it's all there is, it won't last. And then he talks about this, this rocky soil. There's someone, he says that, they, they grow really quickly, but there's no root to it. It doesn't go deeply enough. And so the, the sun scorches it out. The, the problems of life just get to be too much. And I imagine this as, as the, the person whose faith is only soul deep. It's a spiritual thing. You know, compartmentalized. Me and Jesus are good. I mean, I fight with my wife all the time, but me and Jesus are good. Right? I'm a terrible employee or boss, but you know, me and Jesus, we're good. I, you know, I, I do whatever I want on the weekends, but you know, me and Jesus are good. It's a spiritual thing. And life has a way of causing us to question that. And it starts to fall apart because life never is easy. <laughs> life is never without its troubles or its problems or its disappointments or its struggles. And if our faith is just a spiritual thing, we don't dig deeply and it changes the way we think. We don't dig deeply and it changes our emotions, the way we react and feel. 
if it doesn't change the way I live out my life, then when troubles come, I'm going to start to doubt all of the spiritual things. And I'm going to start to question all of them, and I'm not going to be able to hold on to it anymore. Because a faith that's just spiritual can't hold up in the losses and pains and crises and struggles of life. We've got to go deeper. We've got to be more rooted than that. So there's this that, that spiritual level. Then he keeps going and he talks about the thorns. The, the plant grows and it seems to grow for a while, but then the worries of life. And then he says the lure of wealth. Really what he's talking about is the, the lure of the measures of success in this world. The lure of putting up a facade of having it all together. It begins to choke out our faith and distract us from being able to be really connected to him. And before long, it dies out. And I think what he's talking about is a kind of an emotional faith, a faith that only goes as deep as our emotions and our feelings. This is the faith that rides the roller coaster of your mood, right? If God is, if you're, if you're having a good day and the sun is shining and life is going in your favor, then God is good. Praise him. We're so happy. Posted on Instagram another verse today. Inspired. <laughs> Hashtag God is good. Then we wake up one day and we don't feel like getting out of bed. And life isn't going our way. Our boss is on us for no reason. Investments went bad. Arguing, it seems like, incessantly. You know, if you've got a little one, they're teething. <laughs> or maybe they just hit that stage where nothing you say seems to stick and they do the exact opposite with it all. That happens at 2 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 10. <laughs> All of them. And then it's, God, I'm not sure you're there. I'm not sure you're real. Right? You're not answering my prayer. Where are you? Life is, this is not how it's supposed to be. I prayed, God. I prayed for you to fix this. God, I prayed for you to provide, and I'm more in debt this year than last. I prayed for you to heal my marriage, and we ended up split up. God, I prayed for you to fix this in me, and it's still there. God, I prayed for this, to overcome this temptation. It still shows up every day. And I win some battles, and I lose some, but... God, you must not really care if you are real. And if you do care, maybe you don't have the power to help me. Either way, none of this really matters much. What happens in these situations, right? Like we either just forget it. Like, okay, this is too much. I'm done. This can't be real. Or, or we fake it, right? We keep going through the motions. We got our list. We got it checking it off. We're good. Like, I'm doing all the things. Everybody's going to think I'm good and, and holy and, and spiritual, and, and, I, and I'm pretending. But it's just gone hollow inside. And so many, so many people in church today are just putting on the smile and faking, half afraid to walk away because if he's real, he might judge me. And if he's not real, well, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> And we got to, it, it's just this game. 
And I, and I don't think a mental faith or a spiritual faith or an emotional faith is ever really enough. I don't think they ever really take us to where we want to be or, or do the work in our lives that we really hope God will do. I don't think that they move, that kind of faith doesn't move the mountains. That kind of Christianity isn't what we're called to. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the kingdom of God is really about. The kingdom of God is like a, a farmer. He's that God who, he is the one who's just throwing that seed everywhere, giving everybody a chance, regardless of whether our lives are like the path or the rocky or the thorny soil or the good soil. And when it lands in that good soil, it's the person who listens and understands. And that understands is not like, okay, I get it. Like in school when you, when you understand the math problem or don't. I got, I got high schoolers shaking their head. No, I mean, not math. It's about understanding is about letting it affect every area of our lives. It's about letting it affect the way we act, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we argue, the way we handle our anger or our fear or our doubt or insecurity. How we respond to our children or to our spouse. How we act and spend our money. How we discipline ourselves or don't. And that when we understand what God's asking of us and we begin to do it. When we ask that question, God, what are you asking me to do? And Would you give me the courage to do it? And if I don't have the courage, would you send me the people to help me to have the courage to do it? Then life begins to change. And what we really need is a faith that's rooted, that, that, that connects to our minds, our hearts, our souls, and our strength. Jesus put it this way in Luke 10, verse 47. He said, everything you've ever been taught about God and how to please God can be summed up this way. Love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love other people the way you like yourself. Love other people the way you love yourself. Now, some of us need to learn to love ourselves the way God does before we can love anybody else. But a faith that God is asking and inviting us to, the kind of relationship he's inviting us to, is going to affect every area of our lives. It's going to be rooted deeply to the very core of our identity. It's going to force us to learn that word that Jesus kept calling his followers, disciples. We don't, sometimes we use it a lot in church and we talk about discipleship and we turn a noun into a verb and we do all kinds of weird things around that word. It's just, it's just really strange. But a disciple is just a learner. A disciple was someone who followed a teacher, a rabbi, and they would follow him so closely. It was said that they'd be covered in the dust of their rabbi. There's stories of them following them into the bathroom. Like anywhere, that's the whole story of Peter walking on water, right? Is his rabbi's on the water and Peter's like, well, if that's where you are, tell me to come out there too and I'll come out there. Because he's learning to do what his rabbi does, to be what his rabbi is, to go where his rabbi goes. He's learning everything he can, not just about, but learning his rabbi. And so a disciple, a follower of Jesus is a learner. 
They're engaging their minds. Sometimes in Southern Christianity, we overemphasize this kind of emotional, spiritualized Christianity that doesn't really think. God gave you a brain, please use it. Learn. Learn what he said. Learn why he said it. Learn how to follow. It's a process. And and he gave us the word to help us understand. He gave us each other to help us understand. He gave us wisdom to help us understand. It should change the way we think about everything. Our faith should change the way we think about our neighborhood. It should change the way we, how we vote. It should change the way we think about engaging our community, the way we educate our children, the way we, in, the way we build relationships. It should change everything that we think. It's the whole Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard this, but I'm going to tell you this. And sometimes he reversed these laws and sometimes he took them deeper, but he kept challenging them to think, what does love really look like? What does love really look like in a marriage? What does love really look like in a friendship? What does loving your enemies look like? What does loving your friends look like? Learn, be a disciple. But that's not enough. We learn, but we, we also have to experience him. See, Jesus is not some person of history we learn about. He's a person who's alive, that we connect with, engage with, experience. That our spirit connects with his spirit and it changes us. What we're, we're after is him, not what he can give us or what we can learn about him. It's got to go deeper. It's got to be rooted in the very soul, the spirit, the, the, this, this sense of that innermost eternal part of who we are. And inviting him to connect with us there, to shape our, our very identity. And then we keep pushing, right? Like the roots keep going deeper. Because a lot of us, we, can, we get that. Okay, yep, I want to learn. I'm going to learn more about him. I'm going to understand. And, I, and I'm going to grow. Now, hopefully we don't shut off our brains and stop learning at any point. Because if we stop learning, we're in trouble. Because now we're assuming we know everything there is to know about God. And everything you could know about God is a speck of what there is to know about God. So remain open. Keep learning. Keep going deeper and connecting with him, experiencing him weekly, daily, moment by moment. But most, most Christians stop there. Right? We, we've, got it, we've got those compartments covered. But then getting into the heart, getting to the emotions. Right? So we, we kind of think of heart like soul, like God's knocking on our heart. We let we, the, whole, the whole old church language, I love it, like let Jesus in your heart. Like, I, I don't find that in the New Testament all that much. Like, but what we did is we let him into our heart and we locked him there. Like, you stay in there. Don't touch how I spend my money, Jesus. You stay in my heart. Don't change the way I think about politics or neighbors or community. You stay in the heart, Jesus. 
But what he wants is to get all of us. You know what that means? He wants your baggage. He wants the contradictions in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions. He wants the, the stuff that you'd rather ignore, the messes, the pains, the wounds, the disappointments, the anger. So connecting with God is not this proper thing. We, we treat it like it's proper. I mean, in most places, we dress up so that we look more proper. We're going to go to church and go talk to Jesus. We're going to connect to him. We've got to look right, sound right, get it right. And it's like, wait, just as be real with Jesus. And if you're hurting, give it to him. If you're afraid, give it to him. If things seem out of control, go to him with it. If you're just tired of propping up this image of what it's supposed to be, go to him with it. If marriage is hard right now, which if you're married, marriage is hard right now, go to him with it. If, if just being mom is taking everything you got right now, go with it. If just being dad is overwhelming, go to him with it. Let him into that stuff that you've shut down and hidden and bottled up for so long. Because what happens when we do that, when we don't let Jesus into our emotions and we don't grow emotionally, we're not emotionally healthy, we don't mature is what the word is. When we don't mature, our immaturity gets taken out on all the people we care about. Right? It looks like anger on a trigger switch. And we're not really angry at them or what just happened. We're angry about something that happened 15 years ago. We just don't realize it anymore. So we're angry all the time. It's just whether or not it comes out. And we talk about anger management. What about healing the wound? What about going back into the stuff and just saying, God, I don't even know what all happened back there, but it's yours. And I need you to begin to help me to forgive and let go. And yeah, it'll always probably affect me. But with your help, it doesn't determine how I live anymore. Sometimes it's the victories, right? Like we peak too early. And we live as if we can go back to that moment, and we keep trying to go back to that moment, and it's messing up this one. We got to let go of that too. Find hope for the future, strength for the present. Deal with the stuff. Sometimes we need help to deal with the stuff. Sometimes it's a good friend who'll listen. Sometimes we just got to own it and start praying about it. Sometimes we need a good counselor. And we don't talk about that enough in church. But man, I'm probably every adult who makes it past 25 is going to need a good counselor at some point. Just reality. Just reality. Because we just pick up stuff along the way that we weren't meant to carry. And our, our faith, our Christianity, God's love is meant to get rooted all the way down in all of that. Meant to go all the way down. And when it goes all the way down, when it gets rooted in our heart, mind, and soul, 
it comes out as strength. We're able to love him with the things we do. And we're able to love others the way he loved us. We're able to give people grace. We're able to forgive when we'd rather not. We're able to walk away from those things that are hurting and damaging to us. We're able to believe the best. We're able to pray for those who hurt us. To find ways to love enemies. To embrace strangers who look or sound or believe differently than us. We find the strength to be for people instead of against ideas. God's love owns us. And what he's inviting us to in this story, in this parable, for those who have ears to hear, that's his words. So for those who have ears to hear and understand, (laughs) hear this story. Find yourself in it. I get, like if with a parable, if you push the metaphor too far, push the allegory too far, it all falls apart. The truth is, God's just indiscriminately spreading his love and his grace and his mercy and his favor the way that this farmer is spreading the seed. The question is, is the soil of our life ready to receive it and produce a harvest? Maybe this is a season for you. And it's time to, to maybe start breaking up that hard soil because your life has been like the path. And you, you've heard, but you've just not been letting God in yet. Right? Like it's, it's there, you get it, it's a mental thing, but, you know, really letting it in. Maybe, maybe your, your life has just been a little bit rocky, not like hard, because that's just life. But it's, it's been full of those rocks. And so, yeah, it's sprouting up quick and it's emotional, spiritual, like me and Jesus, yay. But it's not really getting past that. Not really letting him into the emotions. Not really digging in and trying to actually connect and learn. Not letting it harvest in love for others. It's just me and Jesus. You need to dig some rocks out that have gotten in the way. Maybe thorns, the concerns of life, the ideas of success around you, the influence of the world, the things that the world are telling you that you should be are getting in the way. And they're choking out real faith and authentic growth and maturity because you you have to hide. right? We've got to put up this facade and we spend so much time and energy finding ways to prop that up and put an image out there. To put the filters on it and get it looking just right and just the right angle. Right? Like we live our lives like we're trying to take a selfie and it's the 17th one and we're finally okay once we put three filters on it posting it. Right? And that's how we live our lives. Trying to filter and get just the right angle for everybody to see. It's time to let all that fall apart. And just be. Let him into that. And know that for God, that's enough. He doesn't need the image or the facade. 
He doesn't love the version of you that you think you should be or ought to be. He doesn't love the version of you that you thought life would be like at this stage. He loves you. Where you are. Messes, rocks, weeds, thorns, and all. He's just inviting you to more. Because he knows it's the best possible life. That we find meaning and hope and life in his love for us and loving others. In a love that encompasses all our, our heart, our mind, our strengths, our souls, all of it. That's what he's inviting us to. That's what God wants for us. It's this wholeness. This, this authentic wholeness. Not because, you know, that's a cool thing to say these days, like, you know, authenticity, yay. We're so authentic. No. Authenticity's goal is transformation. Being real about where you are opens up the possibility for becoming who you were created to be. Because as long as we're pretending to have it together, as long as we're pretending like life is working out the way we want it to, as long as we're pretending or faking our relationships or anything else, we're not growing. We're spending all of our energy pretending. But when we let it go and just own where we're at and, and recognize his love in that place, it opens up the possibility of a whole new life. It's so radically new that Jesus called it being born again at one point. So it's like, it's like you're, you're born again. It's like this whole new creation. It's like a whole new person emerges. And he's inviting us to let his love go even deeper. I don't have a lot of answers today, which is usually the way it works on our front porch, too. But more questions. Like, is there some rocks that you, it's time to dig out? Have you been letting the worries of life, worries about things you can't control, choke out your faith? So you've been pushing on that mountain and getting it angry at God that it's not moving yet. And well, you haven't asked me. You're still doing it in your own strength as if it was something you could control. Will you trust me and give me time? Will you walk with me? Maybe it's some soil that needs to be broken up, some areas you've not let God in. See, a lot of us, we live our lives, we live our faith, and we see our relationship with God the way I wish a garage worked. I wish my garage worked. I should. I wish it was like very neat rows of shelves. Boxes. Exact same box, same color, labeled <laughs> with each thing that belongs in it. And when you needed something in one of those boxes, you pull out one box, open it up, deal with what's in it. And before you get another box out, you put that one back. That's how I wish my shed worked. That's not how it works. But that's how we treat our spiritual lives, right? We treat it as one of those boxes that we pull out once in a while and deal with. Maybe five or ten minutes in the morning, and we put it back. Don't think about it the rest of the day because we got the work box out. And then we, we might, before bed or before a meal, say a prayer. We just kind of crack the box open, look in, put it back. Maybe on Sundays, maybe once in a while. And, it, and it's just a part, a piece of something we do in life. 
And instead, he says, and I really meant to be that shelving that holds everything in your life together. <laughs> that's, that's what my relationship with you is. It's the framework for everything. It's the whole thing. If you'll let me. He's not going to force his way in. He's not going to dig through the rock unless you ask him to. He's not going to pull the weeds unless you ask him to. He's not going to break up that hard soil unless you ask him to. And even then, it takes your cooperation and time and a process of learning. But he invites us. Keep keep learning. He invites us to to keep maturing, to keep allowing the Spirit to take us deeper, and to keep stretching toward other people in love. This is the sum of all that He's ever said to us. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, God, I I know my tendencies to kind of compartmentalize spiritual things and to fail to realize just how close you are in everything, to fail to realize the invitation that you you offer to a whole life filled with you and that I become more and more who you want me to be as I let you take more and more ownership of my heart and my mind and my soul and my actions. And the life you want for us is really found in surrender. The breakthrough is really found in surrender. The mountain moving is really found in surrender. And it's so counterintuitive to everything our world and culture tells us. We're told to strive harder, work harder, be more, do more, do better. And if not, then fake it. And God, we're just kind of done with that here. We'd rather have you. In all honesty, in all that we are and all that we aren't. And we ask you to work in us. And this week, would you bring these questions to mind and show us those things that might need to be weeded out or dug out of our lives so that we can let you have more of us, so we can surrender more to you. God, we trust you, but it it is kind of like the guy who said, I believe, help my unbelief. So would you help us in the moments when we're not sure what to do or how to act or what's going on? Would you help us when we'd rather try to grab for control than trust you in the chaos? Would you guide us in the moments when we'd rather win an argument than win a relationship? And would you show us your ways? Give us the courage to do it. And would we be the help for one another along that way? In Jesus' name.